first of all, happy Thanksgiving. Uh, to, uh, this week is going to be a great day. Uh, Thanksgiving is probably my favorite holiday, uh, partially because it lacks all the commercialism, and so it has a sense of uh, genuineness. But if I'm to be really honest, uh, part of the reason I like Thanksgiving the best is because it feels like you get the best meal. And uh, I love a good Thanksgiving meal, and I guarantee you, by the time I go to bed on uh, on Thursday night, I'll have eaten well, and it'll be a good day. And uh, and that's part of the reason why it's such a blessing to hear uh, Anne share about how we've been able to bless families who probably would not have a Thanksgiving dinner otherwise, and to be able to to think, wow, we were able to feed. 156 people a Thanksgiving meal uh, this, this year. That is a blessing. So one more time, let's just give the Lord a, a praise offering for that. Okay, imagine this scene with me for a moment. This, especially in light of what I just said, it's, it's not a hard scene to imagine. There's a man named, uh, uh, we'll call him Habakkuk, and his wife who gather around a table for their Thanksgiving meal. And, uh, and the thing is, this Thanksgiving meal doesn't have uh, a, a big spread like they would in normal years. There's no big uh, plump turkey in the center of the table and and all the fixings uh, are not there. There's no mashed potatoes or sweet potatoes. There's no green bean casserole. There's none of those big warm uh, buns that you, that you slather with, uh, with butter. And so they sit around this table, and it's, and it's a little bit of a, a sad scene. There's definitely no pumpkin pie off to the side. And uh, Habakkuk and his wife gather, and they're their two children. And even though they don't have a lot of food on the table this year, Habakkuk thinks it's important for them to maintain their Thanksgiving tradition of going around and saying what each person is thankful. And so their youngest starts, a three-year-old girl, and she says uh, in, in, in a way that only three-year-olds w- would be able to, to think of that she's thankful for crayons and her uh, kitty named Fluffy and for her blanket and for milk and all her toys. And, and the list goes on and on and on like three-year-olds do until uh, she's finally done. And then their eight-year-old son says things that have a little bit more stub- substance, but it's still uh, a little boy saying he's thankful for school and for his family for his video games, and that his favorite football team won that morning. And then it comes to Habakkuk's wife. And uh, she doesn't speak up right at first. In fact, a moment passes, and then another until it's almost an uncomfortable silence. And her son says, come on, Mommy, what are you thankful for? And she looks at the sparse table before them, and she simply says, pass. And Habakkuk doesn't know how to feel about that kind of a response. Should he be irritated? Should he be frustrated? But if, but if anything, he has a feeling of understanding. This has been a, a hard year. They don't have money to buy the normal Thanksgiving dinner. And it and uh, 
just all of the things that caused the financial problems. It's been, it's been hard on their marriage. It's uh, been a lot of political unrest. And so Habakkuk's wife simply says that she's in no mood to play such a superficial game. But, Habakkuk, but to Habakkuk, who's a godly man, this is no superficial game. The practice of giving thanks is uh, integral to his faith and his relationship with God. And so I, just, I set this scene before us because I want, us, I want to paint the picture that even though this is a hypothetical Thanksgiving meal, the person of Habakkuk is no hypothetical person. Uh, in fact, I want to turn to the book of Habakkuk in the Bible, and uh, believe me, if it wasn't for Habakkuk being in the Bible, I would have chosen Jack or George or someone for this story uh, as a name, but Habakkuk points us in a direction of him being a thankful per- person when the, when the table is bare. And I want us to point us in this direction because I understand that all of us in this room, we could probably begin to go down the pews one at a time and everyone would be able to say they have something to be thankful for. I'm sure that no one in this room would say pass. But the unfortunate reality is I'm not as thankful as I should be. In fact, my life probably has more complaining and griping than it does thanksgiving. And many of us may feel the same way, and yet Habakkuk teaches us to be thankful even when not everything is going the way we want it to go. In fact, we're going to get a little survey of the book of Habakkuk, and as we go through, we're going to see these are dark days in the life of Israel, and yet this is how he closes his book. And I'll put it on the screen. Habakkuk 3, verses 17 through 19. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vine, maybe we could say there is no Thanksgiving turkey on the table. Though the olive tree fails and the, and the fields produce no fruit, though there are no sheep in the pens and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord." Let me just read that part once more. Yet all of these things are missing, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The Lord, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. This morning I want to ask one question. And that is simply, how? I'd love to ask Habakkuk, how are you able to give God thanks when you don't feel like it? Because as we read the book, we're going to see that Habakkuk does not always feel like giving thanks. Or how do we give thanks when things in your life, uh, when there are things in your life that you are not thankful for? And because we can't ask Habakkuk directly, let me ask you that question. How can you give thanks when you feel so depleted in your own life? When you're emotionally and spiritually exhausted, how do you give thanks? I struggle with that. How do you give thanks when your relationships have gone sour? 
when you're fighting with your spouse or with your best friend or with your mom or dad, are you able to give thanks in the midst of that? How can you give thanks to God when you get a pink slip at work or a bad report card at school? How can you give thanks to God when it feels like God is distant, distant and you have no sense of His love? Okay, those are all very bleak questions. But my hope is that as we look at Habakkuk, that our hearts are stirred to be thankful no matter what the situation is, no matter what the circumstances are. Because my understanding is that if surely we can be thankful during the dark times, we can be thankful during the bright times. And the thing about Habakkuk is his, he gives thanks because his, his heart is thankful. He has been shaped and molded to be a thankful person. And so we have a lot to learn uh, from Habakkuk. Let me take a minute and uh, pray for us, and then we will uh, begin to look into the backstory of Habakkuk and begin to have our hearts shaped to be a th- more thankful people. Let's pray. Father God, I just need to pause right now and ask for your help. And God, we recognize that you are a God who has blessed us in so many ways. You've given us so much. But God, now for a few minutes, I pray that you would help us to focus on who you are. And God, may you turn our hearts from seeing just the blessings to being able to recognize the blesser. From seeing just the gifts to being able to recognize the giver. And so God, I pray that you would, that you would work and move as we look at your word and help us, we, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. When you dig into the backstory of Habakkuk, because I recognize that this is not a commonly known passage of Scripture, you'll quickly realize that this is a dark book. Israel's reformed-minded king Josiah has been killed, and the nation of Israel has slid back into sin and apostasy. When, they, when the nation begins to oppress the poor, that was the last straw for God. Habakkuk would, uh, would prophesy against Israel about how God would bring punishment upon his people. But the prophet Habakkuk struggled with how God had chosen to bring his judgment upon Israel by using the wicked Babylonians, a people more wicked than the Israelites themselves. And so when you read the book, it's really a, a dialogue. Habakkuk will speak and then God will respond and Habakkuk will say something and God will give an answer and it's a dialogue between him and God. And as we read through the three chapters in the book, we begin to see how Habakkuk is being shaped to be a godly person who trusts the Lord. And let me just uh, uh, step back right now and say the whole key to this sermon The whole key to today's question that we're asking is around the idea of trusting God. You see, a lot of times when we think of Thanksgiving, we think of all the things that we are thankful for. But I want us to, just for for at least this morning or maybe this week, I want us to help us to take our minds off of just the stuff, which I'm not criticizing the stuff, But I'm saying, let's just fix our our minds for a few moments on the person that gives the stuff. 
In fact, if the stuff was taken away, could we still give thanks to God for who He is? The whole key to this sermon is around the idea of trust, and that's what we see developed in Habakkuk's heart. Until in the third chapter of this book, the prophet prays to God to revive his work toward to, in Israel. Toward the end of the prayer, we get these verses that we have already read. Let me, let me read just verse 17 and 18 again. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive tree fails and the, and the fields produce no fruit, Though there are no sheep in the pen and no, cattles in the, and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Habakkuk recognizes that the hardships that the nation of Israel is, are experiencing is because of God's judgment. And that's the first thing I want to talk about this morning when we think of, of a thankful heart. I want us to think about God's judgment. Would we be thankful even for God's judgment? And so uh, as Habakkuk recognizes that the trials the nation experiences is God's judgment, he begins to actually give thanks to God be, uh, for those judgments because he understands that it is through God's discipline that salvation will come to the people, that they will be revived. And so what we learn from Habakkuk is that we tend to judge everything from our limited perspective. That we think that unless we have what we want, we have no reason to be thankful. But that's not Habakkuk's perspective. He tells us to show gratitude even when we do not have what we want or need. What we are going to learn this morning is that we need to prioritize what God is doing in a situation over what, are, what, over what are our own wants and needs. Let me say that again. That's an important part. That, that we need to learn to prioritize what God is doing in a situation over our own wants and needs. What is God doing in this situation? And then we can learn to be thankful to God for more, uh, for who He is more than what He can do for us. And as, as I prayed, we can be thankful for, to God for being the blesser rather than just having the blessing. To be thankful to God for being the giver rather than just for the gift that He gives. And so Habakkuk is able to praise God when everything goes crazy in Israel because he trusted God. And he knew that was, what was happening to Israel was ultimately for uh, their good, that God was disciplining them because he loved them. And so that is the backstory to the book of Habakkuk. Now, how does that apply to our lives uh, individually as Christians or even for us together as a church? Well, I know it applies to me because I've experienced God's discipline and oftentimes in the midst of God's discipline where God, God uh, is punishing me for the sins that I have committed, it is only in hindsight that I can say that uh, that is really for my good. But I, but I hope that we begin to learn the lesson that whenever we face God's discipline, we actually ought to be thankful for that because it means that we are His children. If God didn't uh, discipline us, it means that he does not care about us or that he's written us off and says, uh, you know, quite literally, to hell with you. You know, forget it. Do your own thing. Face your own consequences. But God disciplines us if he loves us. 
and if we are His children. A thankful person receives God's discipline because you know that He only disciplines His children whom He loves. Isn't that a beautiful thing? No child, when they're disciplined by their parents, says, thank you, God. Or I should, yeah, thank you, God. No child would definitely ever say that. But no child would ever say, thank you, Mom, thank you, Dad. Discipline is not pleasant in the moment. But But a parent disciplines their child because they love their child and they want their child to become generous or to become kind or whatever it is, to become patient. And God does the same thing with us. For the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Now that is what is happening to the Israelites in Habakkuk. But what about Habakkuk himself? Now, that, now Habakkuk still says there are no uh, grapes on his vine or cattle in his stalls, and yet he is not the one that is turned away from the Lord. Are there times where we experience hardship and it's not God's judgment or punishment? And the reality is that sometimes we do face discipline and we, can, or we face difficulty and we can honestly say that it is not the Lord's discipline. And so how do we handle that? Would we be able to be thankful during those times as well? Sometimes people get cancer and it's not that they deserve cancer. And sometimes they lose their jobs and it's not because they've done anything wrong. How do we wrestle with those type of things? And how do we wrestle with the fact that sometimes we feel very distant from God and we do not feel that it is sin that is causing that distance? Now that's a hard one. That's a hard one. How do we handle it when we uh, don't feel a sense of God's love or His presence? St. John of the Cross uh, was a person that lived in the 16th century, the mid-1500s, and he talked about this exact situation. He called it a dark night of the soul. And sometimes uh, you hear of a dark night of the soul, and it's referring to saying, I'm going through some real difficult things. But St. John of the Cross meant it to refer to one very specific thing, a time in our lives where we don't feel God's presence or we don't feel His love, and it's a difficult time. And St. John of the Cross came to this conclusion, why would anyone go through a dark night of the soul? It is for this very reason that we learn not to trust God our feelings, but rather to trust God Himself. And I think that this is crucial to us being molded and uh, formed to be a thankful people like John was. A thankful person trusts, uh, like Habakkuk was, a thankful person trusts God even when you don't feel His His pleasure. I'm always amazed at the story of Job in the Old Testament. You know the story of Job? Uh, Lost everything. His kids, his health, his wealth, everything. Talk about a man who is, there is no cattle in the stalls. This guy has lost everything. And his wife has the most rational response uh, of anyone in the book. Curse God and die. But Job uh, takes a different strategy and he says, How could I curse the God who has given me so much, namely himself? 
And he says, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And so my, uh, my hope is that as we are being formed and shaped by God to be thankful people, that we would be able to say along with Job, no matter what we have, whether it be abundance or whether it be little, that we praise the name of the Lord and that we are thankful Paul says it gives it as a command to give thanks to God. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 Give thanks in every situation because this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So in other words, even when you don't feel like it, give thanks. It's commanded. That's God's will, he says. No matter how you feel, in every situation. Now he doesn't say give thanks for every situation. I don't think anyone gives thanks for sickness or for being broke, or for losing their job, or whatever it is. But Paul says give thanks in every situation. And the only way that we can do that, the only way to give thanks to God in every situation, is to know His character. To know who God is. Okay, when I uh, was getting up to, um, uh, to uh, preach this morning, Daniel whispered behind me, fire and brimstone. Well, here's the fire and brimstone part, all right? If I'm going to drive home something, I want this to be driven home this morning. We must know who God is. Because if we rely on how we feel or what we see, it will, th- those things are not reliable. We must uh, rely on what we know who God is. And so we continue to study this word We continue to gather with our growth groups and and learn about who God is. We continue to be faithful in the worship service and hear the word preached because we've got to be grounded in who God is. Who is God to you? Could you you say that with all certainty, uh, that you know this is who God is? If you can't, then you won't give thanks in all circumstances, in every situation. We have to know God deep within our hearts. And so I should... This is a terrible pulpit for pounding, right? But I should pound the pulpit here a little bit because we have to be grounded in who God is. The first thing that Habakkuk says, as soon as he recognizes that he's going to rejoice in the Lord, he says, the sovereign Lord is my strength. See, I want to give us a few characteristics of God, and the first is that God is sovereign. The sovereign Lord is my strength. God's sovereignty means that God is in control. And that can be trusted no matter how things look. Do you believe that with all your heart, that God is sovereign, that He is in control? We have to believe it. Otherwise, we will not be able to give thanks in every situation. God is sovereign. He is in control. Al Mohler, who was the president of the seminary where I went, wrote this, and I think this is helpful. What does it really mean to affirm God's sovereignty? It means that God rules all space and time in history. It means he ruled the he rules or it it means that God rules I'm sorry. I, it means that he created the world for his glory and directs the cosmos to his purpose. It means that no one can truly thwart his plans or frustrate his determination. In other words, nothing's going to take God out of his plans. That he's sovereign, he's in control. The second thing we have to know about God is that God is good. That's key, that God is good. Now, it's one thing to be in control and to be evil. 
But it's another thing to be in control and to be good. And God is good in all his ways. It takes us very back to the very creation story itself in which God looked over his creation and he says, that's good, that's good, that's good. He creates uh, uh, humankind and he says, that's very good. You see, we are his prized creation. He would never do anything uh, to us that is outside of his goodness. He wants what is best for us. That is how we can give thanks in every situation because we know that God is doing uh, things for us that are for our good. That, that is his character. There's nothing else he could do. Psalm 34.10, the lions grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. God is sovereign. God is good. Thirdly, God is wise. And sometimes we can't understand the wisdom of God. We look around and say, what in the world are you doing, God? But God is wise. His understanding is greater than our understanding. The theologian J.I. Packer describes God's wisdom this way. Wisdom is the power to see the inclination to choose the, the best and highest goal together with the surest means of obtaining it. That's what wisdom is. Wisdom is, in fact, the practical side of moral goodness. And as such, it is found in fullness only in God. He alone is naturally and entire, entirely and invariably wise. In other words, we can try to gain as much wisdom as we want. We will never see all the big picture. But God alone is wise. He's wise in all of his dealings. He knows what is best. He's, good, he's sovereign. He's good. He's wise. And lastly, uh, and we could make a longer list, but my last one I have this morning is that he is faithful. In other words, God cannot vary from who he is. We can count on him. If you ever wonder, will, will God be true to his character? Will he be good to me? Will he, is he in control? God is faithful. He has to be. He cannot disown himself, as the scriptures say. In fact, let me read that verse, 2 Timothy 2, 11 and 13. Here is a trustworthy statement. I love this verse, and so does Paul. He even draws attention to it. Here is a trustworthy statement. He, if, he, if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, and this is my favorite part, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. In other words, God cannot act outside of his own character. Who he is is how he will always be to us. And so we learn to trust in him. Sometimes, in fact, all we can do is trust in him because we don't have eyes to see. I really appreciate this uh, pastoral appreciation gift. I should maybe hide that because I know there's some money in there that you guys uh, gave me, and, and I really appreciate that. Being a pastor is not always the easiest job. In fact, no one goes into pastoral ministry because they think it's going to be a fun vocation. And if they do, they won't last very long. Pastoral ministry has some unique challenges. You know, there, there's, there's emotional difficulty, and there's, there's, there's experienced times of spiritual attack, and and there's a, lot of, there's a reason that a lot of marriages, pastors, have, have failed because there's pressures. And there's a reason a lot of PKs, pastors' kids, have rebelled and turned away from the Lord. It's a, it's a tough vocation. And, uh, and so whenever you interview someone, and I've been involved in a lot of these interviews as the interviewee or the 
person being uh, the person giving the interview or the person uh, receiving the interview, the first question that is almost always asked is, "Were you called into the ministry?" And if so, describe your call. Because sometimes in pastoral ministry, that's all you've got to rely on. You've got to know this is what God wants me to do. I've been called to do this. Otherwise, it's far too easy to call it quits in the moment. And in, the, in a similar vein, sometimes in the difficulty of life, all we have to fall back on is the character of God. And that's why we've got to ground ourselves deeply in who God is. Because sometimes it's hard to see his goodness, but we know he's good. And it's hard to see his sovereignty, but we know he's in control. And it's hard to, and it's hard to see, God, where, how are you being wise in this? But we, but we know that he is wise and that he's good in all of the things. You see, we know these things. When life gets difficult, you must fall back on who you know God to be. Not what you think or what you feel, but what you know. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Not what we see, not what we feel, but what we know that God is working all things for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Last week we had some just wonderful uh, testimonies at baptism, right? Uh, Adam and Alyssa stood up here and they described about how they were on the verge of calling it quits in their marriage. They were going to file for divorce and they said, as kind of a a last straw, let's give this God thing a try. And, And they got into church and God began to work in their hearts and they and they gave their lives to they gave their lives to Christ and God has healed their marriage and 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 turned their uh, relationship around. Now, I am sure they would say that uh, they would wish no one to have those kind of problems in their marriage, but God had a purpose in it. God was going to use those difficulties to bring them to himself. You see, God works all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And Judy Shimizu stood up here and told about how the doctor said, you only have three days to live. And this was several months ago. And, uh, and as she heard the doctor say those words, she lay on her hospital bed and she heard another voice that God spoke to her and says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring you out of this and I'm going to give you health so that you can give testimony to who I am. And she stood up here and, and gave testimony. And now I am sure that she, would, she has a very rare disease. I'm sure she would ne- uh, never wish that disease upon anyone, but somehow God is using it for her, uh, for her good in her life. Now, we can, oftentimes we cannot understand what God's doing in the moment. But God has his ways, and so we trust in who he is. We trust in him. You see, at this Thanksgiving, my whole goal this, uh, this sermon, uh, in this sermon as we lead up to Thanksgiving, is for us to be very thankful for all that God gives us. I'm not minimizing those things at all. But really what I want us to be most thankful for is who God is. For who he is. And so here's my conclusion. You can give God thanks in every situation because you know that he is working all things 
together for your good. On Thursday this week, I am going to, I guarantee you, by the time I lay uh, my head on, my, on the pillow Thursday night, I am going to have eaten some pumpkin pie. I guarantee that. Uh, I'm going to have a good piece of pumpkin pie, and I'm going to enjoy every minute of it. And uh, now where am I going to get that pumpkin pie? That I don't know yet. I know I'm not going to make it. I'd have no idea how to make a pumpkin pie. And uh, to be honest, I'm pretty sure my wife isn't going to make it either. I've been married 13 years, and I've yet to see her make a pie. And so it's not coming from me, and it's not coming from my wife. Maybe it is uh, Chelsea's mom, and maybe it's Marie. Uh, Marie Callender's, that is. Uh, but, but somebody is making me a pumpkin pie. And uh, if I was to come across the person that was going to make me a pumpkin pie and I was to see all the ingredients before them, uh, I am sure that the ingredients themselves would not be very appealing. Now, I'm looking forward to my pumpkin pie, and it's going to be delicious. But the ingredients themselves, by themselves, are not super delicious. Uh, and uh, and it, like I said, I don't know how to make a pumpkin pie, but I, I did some research here. You've got, you got to have pumpkin mush, right? If you're going to make it from scratch, surely there's some pumpkin in it if you're going to call it pumpkin pie. And then there's brown sugar and there's flour and there's uh, shortening and there's ground up uh, cinnamon or, and maybe some ginger and nutmeg and, and, uh, and eggs and you have all these things. And here's this person making the pumpkin pie and they say, hey, you want some, uh, you want some pumpkin mush? No, thank you. I don't want any pumpkin mush by itself. You want any flour? Flour is good. No, I don't want any flour. How about raw eggs? Ground, ground up nutmeg? None of this is appealing to me. But eventually they're going to put all of that in a bowl and they're going to get a mixer and, uh, and then they're going to start mixing this all up. And somehow it's going to get all mixed up into a big orange uh, goop, and they're going to put it in the oven, and when it comes out, it'll taste delicious. And some of you know where I'm going with this illustration. Some of you may right now, you may be in a pumpkin mush uh, stage of life. And by itself, that's, that's not a good stage. And some of you may be in a flour stage or a raw egg stage. And... Uh, and in the moment, it's, it's no good, but eventually God's going to mix it all up and you're going to get thrown into the fire, into the heat of life. And when it comes out, you're go, all you're going to be able to say is, God is sovereign and He is good and He is wise and He is faithful. We might not see it in the moment, but can we trust God? Do we trust that no matter what stage we're going through, God's working it all together for our good. And one day we will give Him glory and thanks for that. How about this week? Could you give Him thanks even this week in the midst of it? Let's pray. Father God, I thank You that, that uh, you are who you are. God, I thank you that you are sovereign and that you are good and that you are wise and that you are faithful. God, I thank you that you can never go back on who you are. 
but that you are always true to your character. Sometimes we do some stuff and we wonder, why in the world did I do that? I'm not that type of person. And yet, God, you would never say that. You are always true to who you are. And so, God, we just pause this on this Sunday before Thanksgiving, and we just want to say thank you. Thank you for loving us so much. Thank you for working in our lives and, and uh, providing us salvation through your son, Jesus, so that we are your children. Thank you that uh, you love us so much that you don't let us stay just where we're at, but that you discipline us and that you work in our lives so that we learn to trust you more and more. And so, God, we thank you for how much you care for us. And we just want to praise you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.